Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. If you have your Bible, you can turn to, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to skip the first five chapters and just go straight to chapter 6. <laughs> so Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read verses 10 through 18. Has anybody ever been to a baseball game, a youth baseball game, where you, know, you might have one or two children in the outfield kind of just staring off in the distance or maybe chasing a butterfly or or digging some dirt right in the middle of the baseball game, and the parents or the coach is having to say, hey, get in the game. The, the ball's coming. Get ready to catch the ball. Right? That's most youth baseball games. And, and so we can be like that child at times in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual life, not realizing that there is a battle going on. You, if you are a Christian, you may not have realized it or maybe you have forgotten but you are enlisted as a soldier in a battle. And this is not an earthly battle. There are no physical weapons. There are no people to fight against in the battle sense. The enemy is unseen with the naked eye. But be assured, there is a battle, and all of God's people have been enlisted. So you might ask, what kind of battle? Who is our enemy? What are the weapons of our warfare? So read with me Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, and then we shall see. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And that is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, as we've read your word, we pray that it would illumine our hearts and speak to our souls in a way that only you can. Words from my mouth have no chance of saving or edifying anyone. But your words do, and we pray your word would go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we are told in this, I, I, I meant to mention it before we read, but notice how many times the word stand or withstand occurs in this, these short nine verses that we read. So we are told to be strong, right? We're told to be strong, but to be strong in what? In our own strength? No, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So in this battle of ours that we find ourselves in, we have absolutely no hope of victory simply on our own, right? Even all of the participants combined cannot defeat the enemy alone or really even stand against him. As we'll see, we need the strength from what we might call our commanding officer, the one who already crushed the enemy's head when he died on Calvary, on the cross. And you may ask, well, I'm told to be strong in the Lord, but how do I do that? How can we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? So as we read, let's continue on and let's look at this passage a little more closely. And in verse 11, we see how it is done. How can we be strong against our enemy? Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. So this is not a physical suit of armor like Saul gave to David when he fought Goliath, right? And David couldn't even wear it. It was too heavy, so he just couldn't wear it at all. It's not something that you can see with your eyes. But the armor from God, who is unseen. And it's worth pointing out as well, this is not something worn by God, right? It's not that God gives us what he himself is clothed with. No, but this is what God provides to his people. So in verse 11, we see what we are to do in this battle and why we do it and who our enemy is. So we're, t- we're told, put on the armor, why? So that you may be able to stand, there's that word stand, against the schemes of the devil. So our armor is unseen, but why? Why can't we just have just a physical suit of armor like other soldiers would have? To fight a physical battle, you need physical weapons, right? But in the same way, a spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons, those that you cannot see, because we battle against the devil and his schemes. Our enemy is unseen. So verse 12, Again, as he's reiterating, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we have not, again, we have not been enlisted in a battle in which we are to take up physical arms and fight for God with guns and spears and arrows against all who defy him. The church has gotten herself into grave trouble for thinking that that is her job, right? To take up physical arms and to just wipe out all those who are against God. That is not the church's job. That is not our calling. Christ will do that when he returns. But with the armor of God, we do wrestle against rulers, authorities, and uh, a few chapters earlier in Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 2, the devil is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. So that is against whom we battle. And it's no surprise, right? It's no breaking news. It is true that this world has gone absolutely mad. It's also true, though, that the world has been going mad for millennia. It simply just looks a little different now and takes on a new form, like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, right? There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. It just simply takes a new form. 
It might be new for us because we haven't been living for the past 6,000 years. And so when I, read the, when I read these verses, I'm reminded that behind all of the world's madness, all of the world's rebellion against the one true God, right? The world prefers to make its own God, but it's rebellion against the one true God, such to the point of, right, denying fundamental realities like God made man and women and man and woman, right? Which honestly, though, is it's, it's absolutely insane, but it's simply downstream from all of the other nonsense that preceded it, right? Saying that humans evolved from animals, right? So, well, if I'm just an evolved animal, then I'll act like one, right? And even before that, and you see, you just take the trail down through history, it's nothing new. But when I, when I read these verses, I'm reminded that behind all of this is simply one driving force. All throughout history, the attempt to belittle God's people and the nuclear family, behind all of this is simply the devil and his schemes. And all of these schemes might take different forms in different parts of the world or different walks of life or whatnot, but there's one mind behind all of it. And do you think, that you can stand up against the schemes of the devil on your own, right? With your own might, with your own power that you think you have. Or do we, even as a, do we even as a church think that we can stand up together collectively against the schemes of the devil? I certainly hope not. Only with the strength provided by our commanding officer. So in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we battle against the schemes of the devil, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And there is a purpose for this. There is a purpose for this. Taking up God's armor that he provides to us. Going on in in verse 13. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. The evil day is kind of an interesting phrase there. Uh, Many commentators just simply point out it's just the day of our temptation. Right? The day of battle. The day in which we are tempted. Right? How can we stand on that day? How can we resist temptation without God's power in us? And isn't it amazing that not only does God save his people, right? By sending his son to suffer and die on a cross but also that he provides protection for all those whom he saved, protection for them in this life now against the enemy who he already defeated to withstand in the evil day. What an amazing thought. Not to be shaken, not to be influenced by this ungodly world. What a blessing that that that, that is. Like a tree planted firmly in the ground, not moving because its roots are deep into the soil. Though the storm is fierce and the wind battles against that tree, but the tree does not fall. So Lord, help us to not be sinfully influenced by this wicked culture. In verse 14, again that word, stand, therefore. Again, the word stand is repeated several times throughout these verses, kind of giving a common theme, right? To stand firm, although... The storm is fierce around us, in, in a sense. So now Paul, now Paul is going to tell us exactly what the armor of God is. Because it's one thing to say, well, put on God's armor. Well, okay, what is it? What do I need to put on? What does it look like? What are these pieces of armor that God provides to his children? 
So in verse 14, continuing on, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So you may have heard, you may have heard this, uh, this passage taught before, and uh, we know that Paul is using an image, right? He's not simply, all these uh, parts of the armor he's going to list, he's not just drawing them out of a hat and making them up, but he's using the illustration of what an actual Roman soldier wore. And they would gird themselves with a belt around their waist that would uh, kind of serve to protect their abdominal, their uh, abdominal area. And, and it would also support his sword. And, and again, it would protect his abdominal area. It would be around his waist. And so Paul is saying in the same way, just like a Roman soldier would, would uh, clothe himself with a belt around his waist, so in the same way, let us clothe ourselves in a spiritual sense with a belt of truth. So we must arm ourselves with truth. Without the truth, what does anything else matter anyways? The world today not only resists the fact that there is one true God, one true scripture, and that God reveals himself through the scripture, so they not only fight against that and that there is one way, one life, one truth, which is Christ, right? But the world rebels against the fact that there is any truth or that there is any truth outside of myself, right? You might have your truth, I have mine, you have yours, even though they contradict each other, right? It's okay because truth can be relative and it can take different forms. And how can someone continue to preach God's word in the midst of of a people who rebel against it. How can we continue to preach this truth? And there's only one way. The absolute certainty that the gospel of Christ is the truth. Being convinced that this truth is the one and only truth, and by it all men and women will be judged by. And the preaching of the gospel has no power whatsoever if not preached with authority that it is true if i were if i or pastor john or anyone else were to come up here and to say to read the scripture and to say you know it might be true it might not uh you know it sounds good to me so let's go ahead and read it and study it and talk about it there's no authority in that then it's just then we're saying god's word is just no different than ours no there is authority in god's word it is the truth whether we accept it or not not, I think so, or even, it's more likely to be true than not. No, this is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that means he's really saying, there is one truth, the only truth, there is no other truth. And he's saying, it is him. So what do we call others to if not the truth? If you don't, if you're not convinced if you're not convinced that the gospel is the truth, and you might just think it's just kind of a part of the buffet of worldviews, you have no authority to preach it then. We must be convinced that it is the truth. So going on in the same verse, we see the second part of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. And so the Roman soldier would be, they didn't have, you know, Kevlar vests or bulletproof vests, right? They literally wore a hard plate around their chest, and this would protect their heart, uh, first and foremost, their heart, their lungs, those organs that without which you, you won't be able to live. 
And it's, it's interesting, you know, what does this breastplate of righteousness represent? What is, it, what is Paul saying that we need to arm ourselves with? And so some say it might be sanctification, right? That kind of righteousness that is gained over time, right? By a righteous life, by being conformed more to Christ's image. Um, but many other, many commentators, uh, I don't know if I can say most, but many that, that I've come across say that this breastplate of righteousness represents Christ's righteousness that is bestowed to the believer. So meaning that, right, as believers, we know the, the reason God, uh, one of the methods God uses to save people is to, is to bring them to their knees to know they have no righteousness in and of themselves, right? So as a believer, you know you have no righteousness of your own. In fact, the, the, the scripture says our righteousness is filthy rags before God, not our sins, right? Forget about your sin. Even what you think is right and good about you is just a filthy rag before a holy God. But the good news is that when we are born again, Right? The Holy Spirit brings us to new life, and we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. That means we don't earn it. He simply gives us what is His. It doesn't mean that we become righteous when we're saved. Don't ever say that, right? No, but you have the righteousness of Christ that is given to you. So it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, Christ takes all of His righteousness and deposits it into your spiritual bank account. Right? You did nothing for it. It's just simply there because of his grace. And the word devil in the Greek, right? at least in this passage, the Greek term literally means slanderer. So the one who slanders God's people. And so although the devil, the evil one, may truthfully be able, he, he really can. He may truthfully be able to slander you and to kind of wave your sin before God and say, oh, Look how wicked he is. He doesn't deserve your salvation, right? Look at how wicked he is. But the devil cannot do that with Jesus because he truly is righteous. And so in the same way, now if you're under Christ's righteousness, you have the breastplate of righteousness, as Paul refers to it, then the devil cannot slander you in that way before God because you're covered by Christ. And if Christ has already done this for you, then all you simply need to do is put it on, right? Simply clothe yourself with it, as we'll see here later as we get to more parts of the armor. But, but God has already done this. If you're a Christian, you already have God's righteousness. But sometimes we might forget that. And when the devil slanders us, I'm, I'm talking to myself now, when the devil slanders us, right, we might forget that we have Christ's righteousness and we might actually believe what he's saying about us, right? That you're so wicked, why would God ever save you, right? Sure, if I'm by myself, that's true. But if I'm under Christ, then the devil has no right to say that. And so don't listen to that when you have those thoughts. Verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So you might think, well, what are shoes? That's not a big deal. They're not important, right? But they are. Right? I mentioned baseball earlier. Why do baseball or soccer players or football players wear cleats? A little, with the little metal or rubber spikes on the bottom, right? To have a better grip on the ground, better stability, right? Less likely to kind of waffle and fall over. Not as easy to lose your balance or to be pushed around by your opponent. 
right? In the same way, the Roman soldier literally wore special, food, uh, special shoes that kind of acted like, you know, ancient cleats, like now. They had little spikes on the bottom, and these allowed them to grip the ground well to be able to stand firm when necessary and not to lose their balance, because if you lose your balance, it doesn't matter what else you have, it, you know, good luck. They could sink deep into the ground like a plant well-rooted in the soil, as I mentioned earlier. And he says, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So also these shoes signify preparedness, right? Preparedness to go. Like putting on shoes, let us always be ready to share the gospel of peace. Being ready to do so. Not being ready to stand firm. Not fearful. Not eager to retreat from the battle, right? But willingness to stand firm and be ready. Because, because of Christ's peace that he gives to us. Now the fourth thing, the shield of faith. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Notice he's saying, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So again, remember Paul is drawing on the image of the Roman soldier's armor, which most of the readers here... uh, hearing this read or reading this for themselves at this time in the first century would have had a decent idea of what he's talking about. Oh, he's, he's talking about what the Roman soldier wears because they likely have seen them. And you, you may know that one thing, if you study history and Rome conquering Greece, you, you might be aware of the fact that one of the things that separated the Roman army from the Greek army was their shield. And so Greeks typically had a rather small round shield that was more mobile, more flexible, right? It was smaller, so it was easier to maneuver, but it also left them more vulnerable in a way. And the Romans had a very large shield that was usually big enough to where you could, if you got in the right position, you could cover your whole body with it. So your entire body would be covered by this shield. And that's what Paul has in mind here. Perhaps, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, perhaps that's a large reason why Rome conquered Greece, because of their shield. There are some historians that argue that. And so your shield was extremely important because you could defend against the weapons hurled toward you. And so a common weapon in in ancient war times were flaming darts, flaming arrows, to not only harm the enemy, but to also try to to burn their their camp or, or... the, the area where they are, caused a massive fire on their side, right? And so the smaller your shield was, the more vulnerable you were to harm from the enemy. The larger your shield, the more protected that you possibly could be. And in Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2, David speaks of God as being his shield. He says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. So going back to verse 16, notice there will be flaming arrows from the evil one. Paul doesn't say if they come, but you can, you can thwart these arrows when they come, right? Don't think that you can handle them on your own. 
from the schemes of the devil, the, the spiritual kind of flaming arrows, as it were, not literal, right? This isn't a physical battle, but those spiritual arrows that come. Don't think you can handle them on your own. The shield of faith is the only way that we can ex- extinguish them. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right, a famous verse. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So though we have not seen the Lord with our own eyes, right, we will one day see him. The evil one will try to make you doubt. He will try to make you question everything that God has said, just like he did with Eve in the garden, right? Did God really say that? Attack your faith, your faith in what God has said. He'll make you try to doubt the, ter- the church, even, his own people. And I know because I have, I have been there before. Maybe I don't think I'm the only one that he has attacked with that. Seek after the faith from God, which is a gift in itself. Seek after the faith from God, which can sustain you against the devil and his schemes. Not a superficial faith, not a faith that's conjured up by our own, by what we think is our own strength, but a faith given by God. And then moving on, the helmet of salvation. Verse 17. And take up, take the helmet of salvation. So you say, well, why would you need a helmet, right? I think that's kind of self-explanatory. It protects your head, right? Again, if all of these, all of these parts of the armor, we're told to put on the whole armor of God. So it's all necessary. It's all important, right? They are all necessary, and the helmet certainly is, right? You can have your abdomen protected, your chest protected. Maybe your feet are secure on the ground, but if your head is exposed... You're not going to last long. And it reminds me of, I don't, some of you might have seen it a few years ago. There was, uh, you know, sometimes you might have after a, 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 you know, a play in the NFL, right? After a, a football play, sometimes someone might get tackled or pulled down a certain way and their helmet comes off, but it's after the play. It's not, you know, it's usually not that big of a deal. They'll just put it back on or come out and sit out for a play. But I remember a few years ago, where there was a player back in his own end zone who, while the play happened, his helmet came off. And I remember seeing the highlight, and it's like, you're, what's going on? Your head is exposed. Like, just go down. Like, just be careful. And he got, he got tackled. It, it, was, it wasn't pretty. And so but you can imagine everyone seeing what's going on. His head is exposed. Get it? Like, you know, but he still had his pads on. He still had his cleats, but he, he didn't have his helmet on. And so everybody knew the urgency of that, of that situation. So if Satan fails to destroy you because you, he might fail to destroy you because you're girded with the belt of truth. So then he might try to destroy you because you're, he might fail to destroy you because you're girded with the breastplate of righteousness. Then maybe he'll try to make you, to, to destroy you, but he fails because you might be able to share the gospel of peace and you have sturdy shoes on, then he might try to attack your faith. And then if he fails to do that because you're protected by the shield of faith from God, then he'll try to destroy you by attacking your own salvation, and which can cause you to doubt your own salvation. How does he do this? He does it through your mind. How many griefs we suffer and time wasted because we do not take the salvation offered by God and make it our own. 
And what I mean by this is how often do we forget that the salvation that God bestows to us is for now? And again, I am, those closest to me know I am preaching to myself here. So we can sometimes, you know, we can be like the person who might be starving from hunger. And they're given a full plate of food. It's placed right before them, and, but they're too afraid to eat it. So they just continue to starve, right? And we might look at that situation and say, what a fool. Why won't they just eat the food that is placed before them? Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful, even though the food is right before them. You might want to say, just reach out and take it. It's right there. And I'm not talking about someone not being saved that simply needs to accept the gospel. I'm talking about someone whom God has saved, but they doubt that they are saved. And it could be because of fear. It could be because of the devil's slander, as we mentioned earlier, with the breastplate of righteousness, forgetting that we have Christ's righteousness and the devil has absolutely no power or authority to come against you when God has already placed you with his righteousness. Like Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? We simply just need to put it on, the helmet of salvation. It's okay to indulge in the salvation God has given us. Indulge in it. Oftentimes we use the word indulge to think of negative things or sinful things, right? Too many times we might indulge in something that we ought not to indulge in. But this is something, yes, Christian, indulge in the salvation that God has given you, like putting on a helmet on your head. So again, you can have all the prior parts listed of the armor, but without the helmet of salvation, without that assurance, what life there is within us is just sucked right out of us. We too often render ourselves ineffective for God's kingdom because we refuse to put on the helmet of salvation, to accept the salvation God has given us without doubting, just simply taking God at his word that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And again, I've, I've been there before. That's kind of another sermon for another day, but the helmet of salvation. Moving on to the, to the sixth part of the armor, right? The sword of the Spirit. So last but not least, Paul gets to the sword now. And again, the Roman soldier would be armed with a sword. And this is often noted that this is really the only offensive weapon that is listed here in the, Romans, uh, in the Roman soldier's armor. And it's our only offensive weapon. And it's interesting, unlike the other parts of the armor of God, with, when Paul speaks of the sword of the Spirit, he actually says literally what it is. Right? He doesn't say the breastplate of righteousness is this or the helmet of salvation is this, but with the sword of the Spirit, he says, which is the word of God. And so praise God that he does not leave us to fend for ourselves with our own words against the schemes of the devil, right? Thank him for that. We're not left to our own words, our own strength, but he provides the decisive blow with his own word to us. Not our own word, but his word. And there's a great example of this, right, in Matthew chapter 4, where after Christ's baptism, he's led into the desert to be tempted by the evil one. And what does Jesus do when the devil comes to him and tempts him to do evil? Right? He simply quotes the Bible. He quotes the scripture. When the devil comes to him and says, 
you know, he, he knows he hasn't eaten for 40 days. He says, well, you know, given, man, you must be really hungry. Why don't you just, you know, if you're really God's son, why don't you, you see those rocks over there, those stones? Just, you can do it. Just turn them into bread, right? And then you can eat and you won't be hungry anymore, right? And what does Jesus do? He quotes Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? He didn't, he didn't, he just, there's nothing greater to do than to quote the scripture, and then he says, you know, all these kingdoms of the world can be yours. As if, as if they're, how ironic is that? It's really not even Satan's, right? But he, and he, he knows it. it's interesting dialogue there. He says, you know, you can really have all this if you bow down and worship me. Like as if that were really true. But, but bow down and worship me and then it'll all be yours, right? And Jesus says, thou shalt serve, serve, serve the Lord God your own, and serve him alone. Serve the Lord God, no others. Right? In, in him alone shall you serve. And so this is, this is the pattern here. And what, is, what happens after that? Right? The devil tries one more time, and then he retreats, and he tempts Christ no more after that. And it reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 7, where James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we see a perfect example of that in Matthew 4, where the devil left Christ. And speaking of the word of God kind of being a sword, remember in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, one of the last chapters in the scripture, where it says, where John's vision that he sees of Christ, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Right? Speaking of there, his word Right? The word like a sword because it pierces where, where nowhere else can. And there is no power greater than the word of God. Right? It's God's word that formed the universe out of nothing. God said, God just simply said it. Right? Let there be light. And then it was so. Right? Nobody else can do that. Right? <laughs> it is what, God's word is what saves men from their sins and draws them to Christ. It's what sustains the believer to persevere in times of trouble. It's also our only offensive weapon to attack our enemy. It's all we have, but thank God it's all we need, right? And then lastly, sometimes we don't think of this as being kind of a part of the armor or a part of the armor of God, but lastly, here in verse 18, we see prayer. In verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So this is a reminder, right, that while we are in this battle, while we are not battling against flesh and blood, but against the schemes of the devil with the armor provided to us by God, right, a reminder that you can communicate with your commanding officer at all times. What a, what a great privilege for any soldier, right? And it's perhaps the most neglected tool that Paul lists here is prayer. Right? Petitioning God to go before us in the battle. Right? And he says, praying at all times. So at all times, we need to be constantly reminded that this is not simply our own battle or we're not to fight simply in and of our own strength. Right? In Psalm 44, verses 6 through 8, the psalmist writes, For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. 
In God, we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. That's Psalm 44, 6 through 8. So every believer possesses inside of him or her the Holy Spirit. And and where we are exhorted to pray in the Spirit. And we kind of seen, you know, we've seen the Holy Spirit descend on God's people and dwell all of God's people, right? Just recently in Acts chapter 2 with Pastor John's series. So pray for yourself, as we'll see here later in the verse, a point to make, pray for yourself, right? That you would be faithful in the battle in, in uh, taking up God's armor and the armor of God, but also pray for those alongside of you in the battle. Continuing on, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So it's almost like Paul is reminding us, hey, you're not alone, right? There are other fellow soldiers in this battle. You're not in this fight isolated from any help. Your commanding officer, the Lord, is available to you anytime. And in addition to that, we have brothers and sisters in this same fight as well. And remember to pray for each other. Rather than divide ourselves over issues of less importance, remember the weightier matters of the law that Jesus refers to in Matthew 23, 23. So it will happen, of course. We have disagreements of finer points of of theology, and so be it. That is okay. But keep perspective before dividing over such things, please. And also, do not let that keep you from praying for your brother or sister. If you have a disagreement on a finer point of theology... Right? Don't let that keep you from praying for that person. And don't just say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll pray that they would see the light like I have had and they come to view, adopt the same view as me. No, I, we're not, that's not what we're talking about. Don't just pray that they would come to agree with your view. But pray for each other as fellow soldiers in this battle against the devil and his schemes. Because we have, we have a common enemy who is the devil, and we make his job a lot easier when we lovelessly attack each other for simply not seeing things maybe the way I do or, you know, I've literally heard of people leaving a church because they painted the walls a certain way. Um, That's an extreme example, but it has happened before. Not here, but at a different church I was at. And... And so, so let's, have a, let's have an eternal biblical perspective before dividing over certain things. And so we've seen, kind of tried to see exactly what all of these parts of the armor are and what they represent. And so now just kind of a couple overarching points that I want to make in all of this, in the armor of God. Again, as I alluded to earlier, Paul continually calls us to put on or to take up Right? He says, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't say that God has put it on. Right? God gave it, and it is our responsibility to use it, to take it up, to put it on ourselves. And there are too many of us, too many Christians who are in this fight but have not utilized the weapons given to them by God. Haven't used what God has given us, like the child who's already in the game, who's already in the baseball game. I know baseball's slow. It's easy to get distracted, right? They're, they're already in the game. They need to be reminded, hey, the ball's coming. You're, you're in the game. Get like, 
you know, get ready, get ready for the next play, right? The weapons are available. We simply need to put them on and use them. God has already given us what we need. He's given us the truth, right? Sorry, I keep... He's given us the truth. He's given us Christ's righteousness, right? He's given us steady shoes and readiness to bring the gospel of peace, right? He's given us saving faith that is like a shield that, ex- that is able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, right? He's given us salvation, right? The fifth thing, he's given us salvation. Put it on like a helmet so that your mind, your head is protected from the evil one's slanderings, right? And he's given us his word, right? Which is like a sword that Hebrews says pierces bone and marrow, right? And then he's given us prayer, right? Don't be like the soldier who goes out into battle with no armor, no weapon, right? We'd say, what a fool, what are you doing, right? Put on what is given to you. And you and I do the same. See, it's easy to see things when you see it, when you're outside of it and you see it as an illustration or a parable, right? But when when we take a step back, but then when we look at ourselves, right, we do the same thing if we neglect what God has given to us in this spiritual warfare. So it's our responsibility to put it on and to not just put on parts that are easy for us, right? It start, we started off by saying, put on the whole armor of God, right? Paul doesn't say, you know, if you get four or five of these, then you'll be okay, right? But if we put on the whole armor of God, it represents being completely protected, so that there's no part of me that's vulnerable. Right? Just like the football player illustration that I used earlier. That was a real story that happened. I think it was the... Uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't know what team it was, but, but um, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. But so, right, he had everything on. He had his pads. He had his, his knee pads. He had his, his cleats on and everything, but he didn't have his helmet on. Right? And all it takes is one part to be vulnerable, and then you can be harmed. So put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. Right? And now to anyone who is here and who is not a believer, maybe nothing that I've said has made any sense right? in what I've said. Maybe you've been invited here by someone because of the holiday weekend, but you are here because God wants you here. And please know that there is a battle going on, and without Christ, you're all alone. You're by yourself. And without knowing it, you, again, without knowing it, you may even be on the, on the evil one's side and not aware of it. But you have a chance today, just like every other day, to change sides. Everyone will give an account before a holy God. And do not, please do not buy into the idea that, you know, my good can outweigh my bad, right? And, and I, I might have the gift of gab and I can kind of work it out with God. What is more of an arrogant thought than that? It doesn't work that way in a worldly law court, right? With an earthly judge with his black robe on. You can't approach him like that. Do you really think you can approach the one who created that worldly judge and who, who created the world and is completely holy and dwells in inapproachable light, as the scripture says? So don't buy into that, law, into that lie. Because of your sin, you need someone to make up the ground that you never could. You need someone to pay the debt to God that you can never pay back on your own. If you lived a thousand lifetimes, you can never make up one sin that you ever committed. 
But this is what was done for sinners on the cross. Judgment was made on the cross against Christ instead of sinners. Right? Because you have sinned, you deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's judgment. We all do because we have sinned. But instead of God throwing every human soul into hell, which would be completely just if he did that because of our sin, he sent his son to die in the place of everyone who would believe in him. And so now, if you trust in him and trust that he died in your place and you can have fellowship and relationship and right standing with God because of that, then you can be saved. And so now you can be right with God because of his death in our place. And again, he rose him from the dead again on the third day, right? Showing that death is not the end and that God vindicated him and saying, this is the only payment I will accept for salvation. You cannot make your own sacrifice. It's simply just not good enough. So turn to him today and trust in him for salvation instead of trusting in yourself or anything else other than Christ. This world will kind of literally drag you to hell. This world will. It's completely gone mad because of the schemes of the devil. But Christ can give you hope and does give hope. And you simply need to turn from your sin and turn to him instead and ask him to forgive you, and he will. Because he says, all who come to me, I will never cast out. Live for him. Everything else leads to eternity apart from God's grace and mercy. But you can turn to him and live your life for him. And brother and sister, as we live for him by God's grace, as we live for him, remember the tools that he has provided to us until we see him again. Tools to stand in the midst of the devil's schemes, like a tree, again, like I mentioned earlier, like a tree that's planted firmly in the ground. And though there's storming all around it, that tree stays there. So stand firm, unshakable, because of what God has given to us. Let's pray.